Broadcasting from USA Swimming's headquarters at the Carolyn Dirks Building in Colorado Springs, Colorado, it's time for Kick Set. Join three-time Olympian Elizabeth Beisel and U.S. National Team Director of Performance Matt Barbini as they host members from the USA Swimming community, ranging from age group to Olympic levels of the sport. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Kickset Podcast. My name is Matt Barbini. I am the Director of Performance for the U.S. Swimming National Team, and joining me as always... Three-time Olympian, Basel, I'm sorry, that's not going to sound as impressive today, given our guests, but three-time Olympian, Elizabeth Basel, how are you? I'm great, and you're right, I'm going to be put to shame. I thought I was good, but today is the day you and I both need to be humbled, and thanks to our guests, that will happen. Um, yeah. But before we get to that, how are you, Barbini, feeling heading into nationals? We're like pretty, pretty close. I am good. I, you know... I've, we've talked on the show a bunch of times about how trials meets are by far my favorite events in the sport. I would say the couple of weeks before trials meets though, are not my favorite as we're trying to sort of piece everything together for the service we provide to athletes and coaches. There is pretty robust and just all the pieces that are in the air, uh, as we get closer, um, there's, it's always a scramble. There's really no amount of prep you can do to reduce the scramble. I will be happy when people hit the water, uh, on June 27th. Cause that's, then we're just doing the, doing the real work and not worrying about it anymore. Yeah. Which is also, yeah. I mean, you say June 27th and then Olympic trials are less than a year from June 27th. Yep. That's so when the scary <laughs> almost that we're all already there. Yeah. We should just buy our condo in Indy and live in it for the next year because that's where we're going for the next yep, couple. Let's just move in. Um, but yeah, we are, by the time this airs, we'll be about a year out from Olympic trials. Um, did that ever, like, were you aware of like pre-anniversaries like that when you were swimming? Was there ever any like, oh man, it's a year from today is 400 IM prelims or anything like that? No, I, that's actually a great question. I don't think I ever was. You always obviously know like around what time it is, but I never had an anniversary per se, but I will say when I made my first Olympic team, um, it was June 27th. That was when I swam the 400 IM. So that was like a special day for me. Yeah. Yeah. Way so back when. Way back And our guest yes. was there. And I'm going to let you embarrass her as you always do because you're great at this, Barbini. Yeah. So, I mean, we've done, we've done a few of these with some really great athletes. Um, and I guess we've had maybe coaches that could be considered legends, but this is probably the most legend status athlete we've had on the show so far, since you and I have been doing this together. Um, there are not very many five-time Olympians. I can only think of two. Uh, and today we have the only female. Um, Dara Torres is joining us, uh, 12-time Woo! Olympic medalist. That is tied for the most ever by an American female swimmer. She has the longest career of any Olympic swimmer spanning from 1984 to 2008. Um, she's currently, as I said, the only female American swimmer to have been to five Olympic teams. She's a two-time uh, author, age is just a number in gold medal fitness. And she recently became a USA Swimming Foundation ambassador. And we're going to ask you both to talk about that in a minute. But first, Dara, welcome to the Kickset podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Matt. That's a great info. Um, great intro. Sorry, I should take you like on my tours when I give speeches and have you just introduce me. That was really good. <laughs> happy, happy to read everybody's bio. It's my favorite. Yeah, part. To make everybody <laughs> blush a little in the Zoom. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. Um, so obviously, since you've achieved all of that, 
what has post-retirement looked like over the past 15 years? And obviously, please talk about Tessa and all of your business adventures. We want to hear about all of it. Well, first of all, you know, as athletes who retire, it's never easy to figure out what you want to do with your life after that. I think I was very lucky because I was in and out of pools with retirement and not retiring and trying to get some work and then not working and going and swimming and then getting back. And so I was able to make connections. I think connections is, is a huge um, thing that athletes need to try to make as while they're in their sport, as they're swimming, like it's just so important because you meet so many different people. And I was very lucky that I, that I met so many people that I was able to, you know, get into television, do some modeling and, you know, just really kind of further my career post swimming, which is never, as you know, easy for athletes. And so, um, you know, since I hung up my suits to dry, you know, I have at that point, my daughter was two. And so it was like back into mommyhood, not like it ever went away, but it was sort of like full time and not really having as much help as I had uh, doing my, while I was doing my career. Um, but you guys say 2008, I actually retired in, in 2012. I had tried for one other Olympic team and, and missed it. Um, so, um, you know, I'd retired in 2012 and you know, I, I still do some TV here and there. I work on an all-women sports talk show that they rotate 12 women and it's only once a month. So I do that a few times uh, a year called We Need to Talk on CBS Sports Network, which is a lot of fun because um, it's like woman director, woman producer, you know, it's just, it's really a, a great show. And you'd be surprised at like how knowledgeable these women are in sports. Like they just blow men away. Like, so that's really fun. To watch like I really have to do my homework because I don't know sports as much as as a lot of these women but um but it's a fun show and I do my motivational talks uh like I had said I want Matt to introduce me now um and that's really a lot of fun you know it's it's hard when you're an athlete and you're used to always answering questions and being interviewed than to actually go up on a stage and talk for about 45 minutes to an hour which a lot of these companies want to do and I was horrible at it at first. Just I hated it. I was horrible. I was nervous. I was reading everything and it just was so bad. And then one day um, I went back to my old high school and just wanted to say hi to like the headmaster and some teachers that I had uh, worked with in high school. And, um, you know, he said the headmaster was like, hey, why don't you get on stage and just talk to the kids during the assembly? I'm like, I don't have anything prepared. I can't do that. There's no way. He's like, just tell some stories, you'll be fine. And so I went up there and started telling stories and realized that people really like to be engaged in storytelling and not just factual stuff. So um, I really honed my skills over the years. It's taken a long time, but that's something that I'm really passionate about is, is giving talks, motivating people. Um, and what you probably know also is you don't have to be an Olympian to understand you know, what we've go gone through or to relate to us because we're human beings too. And we have all of our trials and tribulations and everything we go through that a lot of people can relate to, even though they're not Olympic swimmers. And so I really enjoyed doing that. Um, I work for, I did work for a CBD company, but it went to wellness. So it's not CBD anymore. And I'm a um, brand ambassador for them. And then I'm also an ambassador for the USA Swimming Foundation. So I have my hands in a few little things and Tessa's um, just finishing her junior year in high school. So We've gone on college visits and yeah, I know it's just flown by, gone on college visits and getting her ready for her senior year and doing a little traveling this summer. So, you know, life is good. <laughs> Basil, I'm actually going to throw this question at you. What's it, what will it be like having someone like Dara as an ambassador for the foundation? I'm kind of like 
where, why haven't we had her the whole time? You know, like, <laughs> I like that too. Yeah, but I'm like in the best way, you know, because Dara just embodies everything that the foundation's mission is saving lives. She has a daughter. Dara, at what age did your daughter start swimming? You know, it's funny when, when she was born, I, you have to take them to the, well, you'll learn this soon, but you have to take them to the, not soon, but I don't want to have kids, but you have to yeah. take them to the pediatrician and like right after they're born and get them all checked and everything. And my first question that first week was, okay, so when can I have her in the water? And mm. my, my pediatrician was like, what are you nuts? Like you have to wait at least like three months, their skin, the chlorine, like, I'm like, okay, you know, but it wasn't because I wanted her in the water to learn how to swim, to be an Olympic swimmer. It was to learn how to swim because of all the body's water you know, I live in Florida, there's pools, there's, you know, lakes, there's oceans, there's canals, there's everything here. And so I just really wanted her um, to, to learn to be water safe. And um, I worked on the Princess Charlene Foundation with drowning prevention. And I was just super psyched that they asked me to be a part of the USA Swimming Foundation and trying to save lives and not just babies and kids, but also adults. Yeah. And then I think, I mean, she- there's your answer, Barbini, you know, like it's, she's perfect. And then the, the adult side too, with you being so into fitness and I don't know if, do you race master swimming at all? I mean, look at her. Just <laughs> like, right. I can still do that. Cause in a couple of years, it's going to be like flabbing down to the, to the I don't believe that for a minute. <laughs> You're going to look amazing your entire life, but like you are just from grassroots to gold medals. You've literally won gold medals yourself. So the building champions part of it, the impacting communities, learn to swim, whether it's kids or adults. It's like, it's literally perfect. And Dara, as a fellow ambassador, I am beyond excited to have you on board because we get to do these amazing events around the country and speak. And it's, I mean, it's as amazing for us all getting together as it is for the community that we're impacting. So it's just, it's a really special group of people. And, um, yeah, Dara, welcome to the club. This is really, uh, I, really awesome. You know what? I, I'm super psyched, Elizabeth. And I, I feel like um, to kind of, you know, as you know, like, well, you're you're not a good example because you're like all USA swimming and announcing swim meets and everything. But a lot of swimmers, when they're done with swimming, like move on with their lives and they either enjoy it and stick with it and, and you know, follow it or they want nothing to do with it. And it's not that I've wanted nothing to do with it. It's just, it was so much of my life. And you know, I, I want to kind of get back and be able to give back, you know, to the foundation and to USA Swimming for that matter, um, you know, in any way that I can, because it, it, it really is your life. I mean, that's what you know, that's what you have lived. And even if you move on with your life with other aspects, like swimming is always going to be a part of your life. Basil, we're glad you haven't fully moved on. Don't, uh, don't run away from us just yet. Oh, I never left. That's the thing. Like, I think you guys are stuck with me. I would have been gone already. Uh, Dad, I want to talk a little bit. I'm sure you get asked all the time about the longevity of your career, but swimming is sort of generally thought of as a young person's game. And you kind of touch on that in your, in your book. Um, And then as you get to be an adult, it's sort of looked at as like an activity or like exercise, and it's maybe not as much of a competitive uh, adventure. How did you think about the sport? Um, You kind of turned that idea on its head by having such a long career. So how did you think about the sport as you came through it as a, a kid, a teenager, and then well into adulthood further than most athletes? Look, Matt, I grew up with that line of thinking where you're a teenager, you're at your peak, and then after that, you kind of just go downhill. And 
what happened is I swam in my first two Olympics and then I graduated college and sort of moving on with my life and uh, got the itch. I was working at NBC Sports and I was logging tape, which some of your viewers probably have no idea what tape is, uh, but was logging tape. And, um, you know, I, one of the interviews was Brian Botano, who is a famous uh, figure skater. And he was talking about making a comeback and coming out of retirement. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I think the, the word retirement and comeback sort of resonated with me um, coming out of retirement. And, and I thought, well, that'd be really cool to just go for one more Olympics, you know? And I think back then the issue was that you didn't see a lot of college swimmers, you know, continue on with their swimming careers because there's really no money in the sport. And, you know, even now, like the press, the, the companies choose like those elite swimmers to sponsor. And then everyone else is kind of scrapping, trying to, um, you know, get by and still continue with their careers. And so, um, and I know like USA Swimming does a good job with giving stipends and stuff now. I think, you know, obviously it was a lot less when I was, um, when I was training, but, um, you know, I just, I, I, I wanted to try it. And, and when I did for the 92 Olympics, I was 25 and I was the oldest on the team, which now is probably like the mean, you know, it's, 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 that's a normal number to be of, of age, you know, to be swimming in the Olympic games. But back then, I mean, they called me grandma. And so, you know, I, after I, I made that comeback, it was, it was like, I had to get the mentality like, okay, now I'm really done. I'm 25. Like I need to get on with my life and stuff. And so, um, it was just, what kept happening is I, I got out of the sport and then I missed the sport and I got back in the sport and, or someone challenged me and I came out of retirement and we got back in the sport. And so, um, I think it was the, the love of the sport and missing the sport, but also the challenge of trying something that no one else has done before. And that really sort of, you know, piqued my interest. But I think one of the things that really helped me was I love to exercise. I love the way it makes me feel on the inside. I love the stress relieves. I love the way it makes me look on the outside. And I think that the fact that I was just exercising just because I wanted to, when I got back in the pool, it really is sort of like riding a bike unless they change the stroke completely, which they did by the time I got to the 2000 Olympics. But um, you know, it really is like you have muscle memory and, and if you stay in shape, I think you, it, you know, in retrospect, I believe that, um, the time that I took off allowed my body to recover, to be able to come back and swim again. So it actually worked to my advantage, you know, um, and also you have to remember, like you have someone like Janet Evans who made a comeback, but she's swimming the mile and the 800 and all these crazy events. I'm swimming one lap. So that makes it a little bit easier too, to be able to just be like one and done or some two laps, like hundred. Every Olympics that you prepare for is always different. I mean, you're always four years older and something special about the 2008 Olympics was, yeah, you were a little bit older, but you were also a mom. And I think this would be really cool for our listeners to hear what it was like juggling being a mom and training full-time to make an Olympic team. And then making an Olympic team and having Tessa, it, like what was that whole experience? And I would love to know like the hardest things about it. And then the most beautiful things about it as well. Well, first of all, that's a great question, uh, Elizabeth. And, um, you know, I, I think for me, I really look to working parents out there as my inspiration because I had such guilt after I had, so I, I, I had my daughter and then I swam in a meet three weeks later, just to appease a coach here who wanted, um, who wanted me to hold on, hold on. You had Tessa and then you raced three weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, did a, okay. had a couple of relays and, wow. um, I yeah. didn't hear that correctly. Well, I, I breastfed. I was nice and light in the water. So it was fine. Um, 
but um, anyway, so, um, you know, I started this meet and, and I was like, okay, I'm done. And then my daughter's dad was like, let's just, was one more meet to go to like master's world championships. It's in a couple of months, but let's do that. I'm like, okay, but if I'm going to do this, I have to swim at least three or four times a week and get someone to watch Tessa. And I was really having the guilt. Like it was horrible. And then I really, like I said, look to working parents. I'm like, well, wait a minute. These people go to work. This is like work for me. You know, they deal with it. They're, they are away from their kids four, six, eight hours a day and they have to come home. And so there's no shame in leaving your child to do something you love to do and trying to balance motherhood and that. Um, and I learned that and it didn't mean the guilt pangs went away, but it eased it a lot when I would talk to other parents who were doing that with their work. Um, I, I think the, the best thing about it was, is, was being able to go through that experience with Tessa there, even though she didn't remember it because she was two, but being able to talk to her about it as she got older and the experiences and looking at pictures and her at some meets with me and stuff, um, you know, was kind of cool and, and being able to like, when I, when I would leave, like go to swim meets and I didn't take her because that was like too much responsibility um, with trying to, you know, be at my best and taking care of a two-year-old, a toddler. And, and so um, for me, I would make calendars and I would write like each day, if you have dance, you have preschool, you have this and that. And then at the end of the day, she'd mark it off. So she would know like when I was going to be home to give her an idea because kids don't know dates and times, you know, at that age and stuff. So that really helped. Um, I went to Olympic trials and, you know, Tessa was there, but I was, you know, I'd see her a little bit in between, but not at night and just sort of do my thing. And I think the hardest thing for me was USA Swimming wasn't used to having someone who was a parent. And so the rules were the rules. And I mean, you were at those Olympics in 2008, you know, you couldn't have any family members at the hotel. So if I wanted to see Tessa during training camp, I had to go to a different hotel and, um, and see her there instead of allowing her, you know, in the hotel. And I know that um, things have changed now and are much different. It was very new to USA Swimming. Um, and so the rule was a rule, but I, you know, they had never had a mom <laughs> at the Olympics. So, so it was really different, but I'm glad I was, be, was able to do that and sort of set that for other parents down the road that, you know, have kids and, and, you know, the rules change a little bit, but you know, it was, it was really a lot of fun. And, you know, like I said, you were at those Olympic games and I'll never forget Matt. Yeah, this is great. So we get, Oh boy, some- here we go. I could tell a Bible story. <laughs> yes. Like being a mom, there's like, All I have a limit Bible after stories. being a mom, yep. you know, but so <laughs> Bible was, you were 15, right? You were 15. 15 yeah. And Allison Schmidt, I think was 17. Yep. And, um, they didn't really tell us like who our roommates were like beforehand and stuff. And when we get to Beijing, they're like, all right, Taurus, you're with Beisel and Schmidt. I'm like, okay, you know, great. And I start going like up the stairs or the, and I hear like this loud laugh and like screaming. And I'm like, holy smokes, there is no way I can stay with these girls. Like a <laughs> year old with a 15 and a 17 year old. And so I didn't want to be mean because I love them. I mean, I love Beisel and Schmidt, but oh, yeah. I was like, I need a room to myself. Like, I can't, this is like too much age disparity here, you know? So, but, oh my God, you can hear them like at the bottom of the floor from the fourth floor. Like it was like crazy, but they oh, had that's... So much, yeah, but the, I mean, they had so much fun energy and, and they made you feel young and they always had fun. And, and it was just, you know, they were great examples of the epitome of what it's like to be like 
on your first Olympic team and stuff. But, but yeah, I was like, I need a different room. <laughs> He's not lying. She, she got the hell out of there. <laughs> I, I mean, these are two of the most recognizable laughs at the sport to begin with though. Like you can identify both of Faisal and Schmitty by the laugh from yes. miles away. So I'm not surprised at all. And put them in one room, like poor Dara's just trying to like, oh my gosh, have some alone time and peace and quiet finally. <laughs> And they room her with us. Oh my God. It was so funny. I'm like, is this a joke or is this like really like, you know? So I guess the next question is then who did you anger so much that they put you with the two teenagers when you got there? You know, I don't know. I think (laughs) I know, right? You know, I think it was more like, okay, she's a mom. She can like look after them and stuff, but it wasn't like I was too far away. I was still on the same floor, just like my own little like area and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I think that might have been their line of thinking is that they were the youngest, you know, on the team and I was the oldest and I can, you know, maybe help them or guide them a little bit, but I would did it from afar. Yeah, <laughs> she did. Dara was, was amazing that trip. And and like for me, not to like gush too much, but I I had posters of Dara in my room growing up. And so the fact that like I then got to be on an Olympic team with her and, and I feel like Dara, not to embarrass you, but every single person on that 2008 Olympic team had posters of you in their room growing up. And then it's like, she's so amazing that she made this comeback. And now we all get to be on a team with our idol, like unheard of. And yeah, uh, yeah it was just a really cool experience. Beijing was awesome. Yeah, it, it really was. And, and, you know, just, I think they, the USOC also did a great job, you know, in the Olympic village and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the kind of more elite um, professional athletes would stay at hotels and stuff because, you know, the beds were too short for them or like the NBA players or the tennis players who are used to like staying in hotels and not like in a village and like someone like Nadal, Nadal or someone like that, you know, everyone would like swarm them. So, but, but the USOC did a great job of bringing some of those athletes in so we can bond. I remember, you know, obviously the NBA players you know, came by like the dorms and we were hanging out with them. And then they came to the swim meets and uh, watched us, you know, swim, um, you know, our events and when they were off on those nights. And so there was really a lot of camaraderie, you know, with, with the U.S. team, which was probably the most I had seen um, out of all the Olympics I'd been in was in 2008. That it's really cool that that connection between basketball and swimming has continued too. I mean, Basel, you remember in 16, all the guys from the team were there the night of Michael's 200 fly final. And it was like watching a bunch of soccer moms in the stands, jumping up and down with their phones filming. Like it was awesome. Really cool. Like bond between those two programs. Yeah. I don't know what it is about like the basketball and the swim team at the Olympics, because I would, I mean, Darren and I both went to university of Florida. I don't know what it was like at your time, but I was not friends with the basketball team. Like we had completely separate weight rooms. Like I really never came across them, but my gosh, at the Olympics, we're like two peas in a pod. I mean, I remember Dara, you were like super tight with LeBron and like all of the bigger name players. And they, I feel like part of the reason they were there were like to cheer on Dara. Yeah, I, I don't know about that, but th- you know, I, being, I mean, um, I, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, I get. I think it was like one of these mother things where I was like older, and this was like I know it was LeBron's first, you know, Olympics. Kobe was there, uh, Jason Kidd, like all those guys, you know, were there, and there was just there was something that, like I said, just the camaraderie. Uh, and I remember we would go to the, their games once swimming was over and stuff, you know. So. It was, um, it was pretty awesome. It was, it was really one of the best Olympics that I've ever been in just overall with everything. 
So are you challenging LeBron to keep going to the age that you were in 2012? Because he's getting pretty close. You know, it's a little different though, you know. um, (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, he, uh, you know, they're running up and down the courts for God knows how many minutes. So it's a little bit different than swimming, you know, 24 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, true. Um, Oh, sorry, Barbini, were you going to go? Go ahead, Uh Basil. All right. No, no. Uh, DT, I would love to know the contrast between the 84 Olympics and the 2008 Olympics? Okay, so that's a great question. Um, There's a couple of different contrasts. If you're looking from like an age point of view, you know, I was 17, it was my first Olympic games. You know, I was more in awe of everyone else there than realizing like, oh, I'm an Olympian too. I don't know if you ever felt that like, you know, when you went to your first in 08, but you kind of get that like, oh my gosh, like look at these incredible athletes. I mean, we had like Michael Jordan and Mary Lou Renton and Carl Lewis and like all these crazy, and I'm like, oh my God, you know? And I'm like, wait, 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 I'm here too. Like what, you know, but I didn't, I didn't sort of have that like um, point of view until after, you know, I'd gone to my second or third Olympic games, but I was really this like young punk kid bouncing off the walls. And then I remember in 08 at 41, you know, we, we just came from Singapore. We landed, they're like, all right, we're going to the dorms. We're checking in you're grabbing your gear and going right to the pool. And when we went to the pool, you know, there was all this talk about the smog and fog and everything. I'll never forget that first day when we walked in and I think the street level was the balcony level and then it went went down and walking in and seeing this like fog or smog when we first walked in and the young kids were like, wow, what is that? That's like so gross. And I'm taking a step back and being like, wow, this is so cool to be here. And so my maturity level was much different from, from you know, 84 being 17 to, 2008 and being 41, but, you know, obviously there were a lot of, um, you know, changes as far as swimsuits go, like the less you wore, the better. So we had like teeny little swimsuits back in 84. Um, the pool wasn't like an infinity pool. Um, the blocks were all different. People were doing, you know, grab starts with two feet up, um, except for rowdy. And, um, you know, it was just there, the, the amount of people in the stadium, there's a lot more in 08 than there was. So, I think the sport became a lot more popular and um, I think just uh, a lot of things had changed as far as, you know, equipment and, and uh, swimsuits and pool and, you know, everything like that. So there was definitely a big difference um, and the villages were different, you know, um, they had like a disco back in, you know, 84. And then in 2008, they had like this game room and virtual thing. And, you know, so it was just like, you know, going through the different like um, eras or, you know, decades was you know, it was like in the eighties then to like the two thousands. So it was really, um, there were a lot of differences from, from those two Olympic games. <laughs> you mentioned a little bit of the like technical changes. So the, the sport just from like, even just the start has changed numerous times. And you were in an event where the start is absolutely critical. Were you, did you always feel like you were trying to stay ahead of those changes or was it, were you just kind of adapting as the sport and your coaches changed their perspectives? No, I always try to stay ahead. Um, I felt like I always had coaches that were very innovative and would think outside the box and not just so like routine and stuff. Um, I know with the starts, it's funny because I'll never forget in 80, it was 83, I went to a meet um, that you, back then the, the national team, if you make the national team, you, you could choose in February, you could go to like Germany or Sweden or like Holland and Paris or something like that. I was, I don't remember it was, but anyway, so I think it was Paris. And, um, you know, I remember 
looking what team Rowdy was signing up for because I had a huge crush on him back when he had like long blonde hair and everything, you know, I'm like, Ooh, Rowdy's going to like France and Holland. I'm going to go to that one, you know? And so I signed up and, um, and I was just starting to do the track start because I had seen Jay Fitzgerald, um, who used to coach Pinecrest and before that, when I was swimming, um, had coached a team out in Ohio in Cincinnati. And I think it was Cincinnati Marlins or something like that. And I saw them one time when I was like 12 or 13 doing track starts. And I'm like, that's really cool. Like what, and my coach saw it too. And we asked him to kind of show us like what that was. And so then I would go to swim meets and I started doing these track starts and I was like always first off the blocks. And, and then Rowdy at this meet was asked, my coach came to this meet too out in France and Holland and was like, Hey, can you teach me the track start? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. And so we taught it to him. And in, in 84, Elizabeth, obviously you were too young and Matt, you do it. Um, and at the 84 Olympics, he did the track start. And um, I don't know if you not guys know the story, but he was like the first one off the blocks and they, they ran the race. Um, and when they finished, they kept going back on, cause there was a lot of, um, questioned about it was a false everyone thought it was a false start and they went back they abc sports was doing the tele, television then and then went back in the trucks and the the refs had to go in the trucks and actually look and listen to when the beeper went off and when rowdy actually left the blocks and rowdy was the one who from that moment on everyone started doing track starts because they saw how fast he went off the blocks and it just blew everyone away so there was a lot of transformation, like with the starts, you know, back then and to what, where they are now, where you actually have like a lip, you can put your foot back there, you know, so it's, it's a lot different. And, you know, in some of the Olympics, we had like a two false start rule where you can false start twice. And the, the third, like one is based on like, you know, the uh, field gets charged and the next one, the person gets charged and then you're out if you false start again. So, you know, now it's no false start. So like, there's a lot of changes that evolved over the years you know, from being in the sport at such a young age and then at such an older age. That is wild. I had no idea about that. I, and I'll should ask Rowdy about it. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get Rowdy talking about that. That He's is very shy, but you should well, ask him about it. Yeah. You know, Rowdy, like yeah. whenever it's time well, for him to talk about that. himself, he's like, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but that is, I mean, that's insane. Um, on kind of a similar vein, Derry, I feel like you were always on the, like precipice of starting new things. And for you, you took such good care of your body outside of the water. I mean, I even remember watching you train at our 2008 training camp and you were always stretching. You were always doing dry land and activation and massage and all of these treatments. And I feel like you were ahead of the game back then. Do you have any advice to swimmers, even nowadays who are kind of like, oh no, I just work hard in the pool and that's all I need. Like it's obviously more than that. It is. And when you're younger, you don't realize that because your body recovers so quickly. So you're like, yeah, I don't need that. Like I'm fine. Like I'm recovered and stuff. But as you get over older, you know, obviously that changes and you don't recover as fast as you did when you were a kid. But, you know, I just wanted to try to figure out how to recover so I can do these workouts. Cause I remember when I started training for 08, like I, I was like, oh, I'll do double workouts, you know, because Back when I was a teenager, that like I would cheat, I'd go into the lane lines. I, I mean, all the things that I would do, like as a sprinter, I'm like, I don't want to work out or whatever. But then when it started to become where I wanted to train for my first Olympics, and I was like, okay, I have to take this seriously. And then from then on, it was like, okay, how much can I do? I want to do more than everyone else. I want to go running after practice. I want to lift more, you know. So it was more, more, more. So when I when I started training for 08, I still had that mentality, like, okay, I have to do more than everyone else. And I realized, like, 
the first day of my double work and I'm like, forget this. There's no way. Like I couldn't even move the next day. It was like days before I recovered. I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. And so it took a while, but I gave myself a little less than two years to be able to figure out like what worked for me. And I went from nine workouts a week in like my whole life up till 2000 to five workouts a week. And, you know, mentally that was so hard because I'm thinking like, well, if I'm not doing what everyone else is doing, how am I going to be fast? Like, and so it was the mental aspect that really messed with me, not the physical aspect of not going to the workouts. And that took a little while to sort of get over, but, you know, I, I found a rhythm that worked for me. And I got to be honest with you, like, I was really surprised that not more swimmers would come up to me and ask what I was doing or how is that helping you? Like, they just was like, oh, that's Dara doing her thing. You know, she's old, she's doing her thing. And I found so many other athletes from other sports reaching out, contacting me. There's a ton of NBA players that are working with my stretching trainers that, you know, are um, somewhere in the finals, you know, it's just like crazy. And, and so these other athletes, you know, want to know, well, what's she doing to recover and to be the best that she can be. But I found it very strange that swimmers wouldn't come up to me and ask me about that or, or want to know like what I was doing. But you know, it, it, even if you think like, oh, I recover, I'm fine. It's very important to stretch. It's very important to take care of your body, no matter what age you are. And it will pay off in the long run. You know, it really will. Do you, you have a lot going on still career-wise and, and just life-wise. Do you still follow the sport? We talked about in the open that we're basically a year out from the next Olympic trials. Is that something you'll be plugged into? Or are you kind of aware of what's happening in swimming or is that sort of off to the side now? You know, I've gone in stages and I think, um, you know, it's funny because I was talking to Shana at USA Swimming about like how to get, you know, more athletes involved that have retired from the sport because we do have a tendency to just kind of go off and do our own thing and not really realize what's going on. And I went to the tier meet um, here in Fort Lauderdale uh, in January. And, you know, there are definitely some names I had no idea who some of these people were. And it sort of gave me a kick in the pants to realize like, you know, this was, you were a part of the sport for so many years, you should know like who's out there and who's doing what. And so I think there is a little bit of a disconnect when you retire from the sport, unless you're a Beisel, um, and or rowdy. Um, but there definitely is a disconnect. I'm hoping that somehow I can, you know, help USA Swimming figure out a way to be able to, you know, um, have the alumni more involved somehow um, so we can keep track of what's going on because I really was embarrassed. I didn't know a lot of the swimmers when I was at that meet. Well, she's back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> She's here to say. Um, one last question. I would love to know about Tessa and her college search. And does she swim? What sports kind of like really cater to her? And what does she like to do? You know? Okay. So um, she was swimming when she was younger. I had her do every sport. She was in dance and tennis and soccer and you know, I realized in soccer when, when, you know, she was about six or seven and they put her in goalie and she's hanging on the net like this. And the person kicks the ball into the goal. And she's like, okay, whatever, you know, I'm like, okay, that's not her sport, you know? So, um, you know, she's not like an aggressive, like I'm very aggressive, like in sports and she's not as aggressive, but you know, she was swimming for a while when we lived up in Massachusetts, but as you know, the pools are like three or four lanes and it's hot as heck in there. So when she was like, mom, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. No problem. You know, I um, don't either. Yeah. So, so I said, well, listen, you know, you have to find something because you're not going to sit at home when you get home and be on your computer and be on your phone and, you know, you need to be active. So she took up lacrosse for a while um, and was really loving that. Um, and then, you know, every once in a while you get a 
kind of a bad seat as a coach and you kind of get discouraged. And so um, she had gone through that last year after uh, their state championships. And I said, look, just take the summer off and, you know, just relax and, you know, work out, you know, a few times a week, just so you don't lose anything. And she ended up, um, you know, having some uh, issues with her stomach uh, and they thought it was appendicitis. They went in, took it out. They're like, okay, it actually wasn't your appendix look good, even though we took it out, but your small intestines looking inflamed. And so, um, you know, after many tests and going through a bunch of, um, you know, different um, procedures, uh, they found out that she has Crohn's disease and it, it gotten so bad that um, she had a perforation and an infection and she had to take an emergency room and she was getting IV treatments. And they finally said, look, we have to take part of your small intestine out. So um, they, they took that out in the fall. And so she hasn't really been doing sports. She's getting kind of back in and training and she said she didn't want to play uh, junior junior high school lacrosse and didn't want to play team lacrosse because she was just been really out of shape and stuff and it's starting to kind of slowly get back into shape and she said she wants to play lacrosse her senior year so so I think it's really important that parents like have their kids active in something even if it's a few days a week um, because with social media and screen time it really can wreak havoc you know on you mentally and stuff and so I just make sure that Tessa just stays active and, you know, she'll finish her senior year playing lacrosse. And then, you know, she has her, her top schools that, you know, she really likes, um, you know, do you want to know them or she, I don't want to jinx it. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely do. Or totally yeah. up to you. If you yeah, don't want to jinx it, so, I don't you want can you give to... us the region if you yeah. want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, she's going to apply to UF, but her, her top schools are probably Michigan, Syracuse, Wake Forest, and um, what was the other one? BU. So awesome. she wants to get into broadcasting, actually. So um, yeah, she's like a sports fiend. Like you can sit there and talk to her, and she'll tell you stats. And like she loves NHL and baseball, believe it or not, and Formula One. And she's just you know, she had a conversation with Bob Costas, and they were talking about the Red Sox. And I was like, right, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but or who <laughs> are. But um, yeah, so she she's really into communications and wants to get into journalism. So we'll see what happens, but she's really excited about, you know, getting the process done of applying and just, you know, whatever happens, happens. Well, the University of Florida has a great journalism uh, I know, I told her that. <laughs> I agree too. Just, so. just a small yeah. plug there, you know? Exactly. No, no bias in this show. Yeah, no, no connection there. there. No, I've just, no, just heard. Just, yeah. just throw it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah just, word on the street. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. That's awesome, Darren. <laughs> Best of luck to Tessa moving forward. And Thank I'm glad you. that her that. recovery is, is moving smoothly yeah. and she's, she's heading towards the up and up. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. All right. We have a couple of uh, listener generated questions. We call this okay. little segment social kick. Um, these came through Instagram, um, other social media platforms. Um, we just have three for you. Yeah. The first is from Archie K. What is your best advice for new competitors who want to compete at higher levels? Um, is just don't give up. You know, I, I feel like sometimes you get discouraged if, if someone your age has been swimming for, you know, five years and they're going a lot faster than you. Well, they've been swimming five years more than you. So just understand that you just have to have time. And I, I you know, I think that and patience, and I think Rowdy is the perfect example of, you know, trying out for every sport in high school. And the only team he made was swimming, you know, in high school and still ended up making two Olympic teams. You know, so you just have to have the patience and, you know, listen to your coaches and, you know, just don't worry about what everyone else is doing. All right. From Reagan K, how did you overcome mental challenges? 
Um, you know, uh, I had a few, um, you know, some of them involved, you know, dealing with jealous girls on the team and, you know, um, some were like, you know, mentally with my body, can I do this? I'm so old. And, you know, it's, it's all about sort of turning negatives into positives. Um, and I think a good example is, you know, when I was uh, training for 08, um, you know, no one could believe I was doing what I was doing. And how can a 41 year old mom make the Olympic team? And how can her body look like that? And she must be taking drugs and just a lot of negative stuff. And it, and it really wreaks havoc on you mentally. And you, you start thinking like, God, does everyone hate you? Like, why is, you know, everyone talking so negatively about you? And, and I remember one of the first things that, that happened when I decided to make the comeback is I was trying to get, you know, some funding for it. And so I went to uh, Mike Bloomberg in New York, who was the mayor at the time of, of New York and obviously owns like Bloomberg Network. And, you know, he's like a big deal. And, and when I told him I was thinking about making a comeback and would he sponsor me, you know, the first words out of his mouth and he's very sarcastic. So I know he was kidding, but were, aren't you too old? And so I kind of dealt with that the whole time that I was training, but I took those words and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to show you how old I am. Like, you know, I'm going to show you like how it's done or whatever. And, and I, I just remember like hearing those words resonate in me when I would have like my hard days or, you know, just thought, oh God, maybe my, I am too old. No, I'm not, you know, and just, you know, trying to turn, like I said, negatives into positives and use it to your advantage and use it as fuel. That's a great answer. Okay. Last one. Uh, this is from actually a national team athlete, Gabby Albiero, um, swimmer out of Louisville, guest on this podcast. Nice. Um, favorite lesson that swimming has taught you? Um, you know, I, I think for me, well, there's so many lessons. I mean, you learn about like hard work and sacrifice and dedication and time management. And, you know, just even if you don't get to the Olympic level, you know, just learning these things in the sport really trickles out into other aspects of your life. And, and I know like you guys know that, that, you know, I mean, the, the lessons we learn through swimming, you know, help you with your life after swimming. Um, but I think the biggest thing is I'll never forget, um, you know, I was being interviewed in my last race in Beijing and Andrea Kramer had said, you know, if there was something that you can teach your daughter, um, you know, when she's old enough to understand, you know, what you've done, what would it be? And I said, you know what, don't put an age limit on your dreams because the water doesn't know your age when you when you dive in. So what does it matter how old you are? And I think, you know, for me, when you'd asked me that question before, about, you know, age and stuff, um, you know, if the way I would look at it is if, if Nolan Ryan can pitch a no hitter at 44 and Jack Nicholas can win a master's at 46, why can't a 41 year old mom make an Olympic team? And so that was a big lesson I learned when I was going through that process in 08 is that it doesn't matter how old you are, as long as you put the work in and do your best, you know, it is what it is. Darren. Thank you for the time. This has been an awesome conversation. Good luck to Tessa with the Thank communications you. and the college choice. Um, and really appreciate you taking the time for us. Well, this has been a great podcast and you guys are awesome interviewers. And I was very honored to be asked to be on this. DT, you're the best. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks again to Dara Torres Basel. That was an awesome conversation. I uh, especially enjoyed the part about 15-year-old Basil chasing mom out of the dorms. <laughs> I cannot blame her at all. I would have chased me out as well. Like, you put me and Schmitty in the same room, especially as teenagers, 
it's like a headache uh, times 10. I can't even imagine. So she made the right call. But you know what's beautiful about it is like Dara, like never, like she was always somebody that we absolutely loved and still do. Like it wasn't anything personal. Dara was probably just like, I'm, I'm all set. I'm already a mom. I don't need yeah. to be a mom to these two girls. <laughs> not this week at the Olympics. Yeah, not at the biggest meet, uh, maybe not of her life because she's been to five of them, but one of the biggest meets of her her life. Yeah, maybe not the time to be uh, yeah. shepherding 15 and 17-year-olds around a, an Olympic village. Fair Still, enough. though, just like amazing, like the just the career that she had, but then also the like the the way that she's, and I'm always impressed by basically everybody we have around here that's able to like have the the perspective that they have and um, to speak about their careers, but she just... I like, I love the ownership she took of all of her accomplishments. I like, I love the confidence of the way she would talk about what she had done. And um, she's a very inspiring person as somebody who kind of met her today. I didn't really know her before this. It's very, very cool. And, and so versatile as well. You know, when she was listing off what she's been up to, it took her like 10 minutes because she's doing a million different things. And on top of that, I think we kind of forget and being a mom. Um, And it's just like, truly incredible and an inspiration to me. I'm not a mom, obviously, but maybe one day I will be. And I'll definitely draw things from what Dara said today and think, oh no, I can, I can still like be me, but also be a mom as well and not have to like fully claim mom is the only thing that I am. Um, so it was just really, really cool to hear that perspective. Yeah. I, uh, I also enjoyed the, like the little inspirations for comebacks, just those like tiny things where it's like, Oh, well, I can do that too. <laughs> those oh, are, you know a- what? I'm so glad you said that. I was like, if anybody is listening to this, just like DM Dara a challenge, she's yeah. going to have to do it <laughs> and like, make it as ridiculous as possible. Like, yeah. I mean, even throw out the Olympics. I mean, we got a home yeah. Olympics sure. in 28. That could be full circle for her, you know. <laughs> First Olympics in '84 was LA. Why not Start, do another one? Started in LA, can end in LA. Listen. Speaking of, we are picking teams for these things coming up soon. Um, so that's next on our big calendar. Um, so one more time, just so everybody's got it. Phillips 66 Nationals start June 27th. They run through July 1st. Basil and I will both be there. Uh, more info at usaswimming.org slash events. And then we are one year out from trials, which is even more exciting. Um, and everything, info, tickets can all be found at usaswimming.org slash trials. Make sure to get your tickets. This is going to be the swimming event of the our lives to this point. First time in a football stadium. All of that will be incredible. So you don't want to miss it. Faisal, just a couple of weeks and we'll see you. Ardenia, I cannot wait. As always, such a pleasure. It's the pleasure is all mine. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to uh, rate, review, subscribe, all of the podcast stuff, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to KickSack with USA Swimming. Head to usaswimming.org for more episodes and make sure you subscribe to KickSack wherever you get your podcasts.